Welcome back to the White Coat Club. My name is Lindsay, and I'm one of the counselors at Moon Prep. Today, I have two of my fellow counselors here with me, Darlene and Nicole, and we'll be talking about everything you need to know about BSMD interviews. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more great content about BSMD and med school admissions. So let's talk a little bit about interviews. Um, Nicole, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So as most of our students will know, or if you've been researching BSMD programs, you may have learned um, that most BSMD programs will interview candidates in order to move forward onto the next step of the application process. Um, it's kind of the norm. There are, however, some schools that don't interview. Um, in the past, schools that haven't interviewed have been Brown, um, Hofstra, St. Louis, um, University of South Florida, but pretty much across the board, it's kind of the norm for these schools to interview in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And Darlene, why do these interviews even exist? So one of the things I always tell my students is these interviews are designed to see if your application matches who you actually are in person. A lot of the times people use different tools and they craft these really perfect applications, but when they actually meet the candidates, it doesn't quite match what they put on paper. So some of the most important things is communicating well, being able to communicate your passions, and also reiterating why you want to go to this school and what you plan to do with all of these opportunities. And Nicole, can you tell us when BSMD interviews typically are? Yeah, Darlene made a great point in leading into this when she said sometimes students um, are doing their applications over the summer, and these interviews are months later. So typically from January to March are when the interviews will actually happen. And the earliest that you'll even receive an invitation for an interview um, is typically like late November. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that will be like the very earliest. I feel like most kids probably don't even hear until sometimes December, but a lot of times January, February, or even March. And so that's the important thing to remember too for students is just because like your peer got an interview request for a particular school doesn't mean that if you didn't get one, you're not ever going to get one. Like sometimes they'll do stuff on rolling basis. And so it's not over until you officially get the rejection email. Um, And I've also had kids interview. I think I had a kid interview like April like 10th or something for Nova Southeastern. And I think a girl interviewed for Baylor like April 20th. She must've been like on the wait list for interviews and things like that. So it can, it can really be all over the place. So there's never like one definitive time. Just be be prepared, essentially. Tulane, I think, also interviews in April too. Sometimes even May, I think. I think they were like that. They used to actually interview in like July, but now it's like more of a traditional um, interview process and they'll be interviewing in March. Because of like this huge window for when they could be getting interviews, when do you recommend they start preparing, Darlene? Honestly, as early as possible. Um, I don't think it's ever too early. As soon as you're done with your secondaries or supplements, you definitely want to start preparing because you never know when the invites are going to happen. Sometimes they give you less than a week to prepare, and it's very, very hard to do so if you haven't read your application in a while. Yeah. And one thing I'll say about that too, is I have some kids who have not completed their applications yet, but are already wondering about interview prep, prioritize, make sure you're doing your essays and you're working on it. Um, You know, don't be counting your chickens before you hatch, because if you don't even have an application to send, why are you preparing for those interviews? So usually, like I would say, like after that November 1st deadline, whatever your timeline looks for, go for it. 
Definitely during winter break too. I think that's the prime time that is so underutilized, but you know, even if you do interview prep with us, are we able to help you prepare for an MMI interview in, you know, two days? We can, it just won't be the best, right? Mm -hmm. So if we have about at least two weeks, I feel like that's usually adequate time. And I have some kids who are like superstitious and don't want to start doing interview prep until they get um, <laughs> the the actual interview, which is fine. But just as long as you're kind of thinking about interviews and like thinking about like maybe like the tell me about yourself or, you know, your why doctor answer, then you'll at least not be completely starting from ground ground zero on that one. Now, Nicole, tell us a little bit about like what you've seen for interviews. Are they typically in person or virtual? Um, I think for the last few years, we've seen a lot of each. Um, last year, it felt pretty split um, between in-person and virtual. And I think that there's definitely pros and cons to both of them as well. Penn State and Nova were definitely in-person last year. Um, St. Bonaventure gave students the option. And JIT did something similar. Um, League comms is completely virtual. And they even have like a kind of a totally different format than every other school. Um, a couple years ago, all of them were virtual. Mm -hmm. I think that was the negative to that, I think, is they were not giving students any time to prepare. The great part about going in person, I think it's intimidating for kids. I think these students love virtual right now. Um, just everything virtual, school virtual, all of it for the most part. Um, but they, they weren't giving the kids enough time to prep. You know, these kids on Monday morning were getting an email saying their interview was Tuesday afternoon and, it was definitely stressful. I think another thing is the financial aspect. I don't think a lot of parents realize how expensive it is to even go in person. And like Nicole said, like sometimes it's just on a whim, right? They send you an invite on Monday and then they're like, please be here in Florida by Friday. And, you know, that's not a lot of time to buy a plane ticket, book a hotel. Um, Whereas before, if you plan at least, you know, Things can be a little bit cheaper if you do things ahead of time, but there's no way to tell for sure. I really like the way that both Penn State and Nova do it. Like, I'm pretty sure Nova's Shark Week dates are already out. So Mm -hmm. if this is a serious school for you and you're applying and obviously you don't know if you're going to get in or get called, but you kind of can already plan for when those dates could be or would be because they're the same. Um and then Penn State is one of the earliest that notify students. They notify usually around Thanksgiving for an interview for the most part. And then the interviews aren't until like mid-January. So it's giving families ample time to like kind of prep for that travel plans, hotels, things like that. That's what always like kind of blew my mind about BSFD having in person. It's not like just a student can hop on a plane and, you know, rent their car. These kids are like 17 or 18 years old. Like a parent has to go with them too. So it, yeah. it kind of doubles the logistics that have to go into it. So that's, I mean, I guess like a, an advantage of the virtual is kids don't have to, and parents don't have to call off work and navigate that. Um, but then they are missing out on getting to see the campus, making sure it's like a good fit for them. Um, so they might be having to go visit the campus later on in like, you know, April, um, just to make sure it is like where they can see themselves living for four to eight years. But, but yeah, I think that is like one of the big advantages of virtual over in person. I always had students too, who were like, I have a test that day. It's virtual for you, but I have a test. I have to miss school. And I mean, we know a lot of our kids do not like getting absences. They are very, very strict about their studies. And um, it has definitely caused some chaos. (laughs) 
anxiety for sure. But yeah. And a lot of times these BSMD be- programs are like, it's Tuesday at 4 p.m. Be mm-hmm. there, like you're kind of out. So it just depends. Sometimes you do have flexibility. Sometimes you don't have any flexibility. Darlene, do you want to tell us how many rounds of interviews students might expect? A lot of schools will vary. So some schools, they will have the undergrad interview. And then if they like you, they'll pass you on to the med school. Um, A good example of this is all of the feeder schools to NJMS. But other schools will just only have the med school interview. So examples of this would be Albany, VCU, Penn State. It really kind of varies based off of the model, but essentially most of the questions between the undergrad round and the med school round tend to be very similar. And who will they be interviewing with, Nicole? Typically, um, faculty, students, alumni, we've kind of seen a mix. Mm -hmm. And the good news is like usually you find out beforehand They'll tell the name of the person so you can be, you know, Googling them. And we'll talk about this later about like the questions to ask them, but um, you can be kind of tailoring the questions you ask a little bit better. You at least know what to expect. Um, But yeah, that's always, always kind of the advantages. Usually you will find out, even if it's just like a general, you'll be interviewing with a faculty member of the medical school or whoever. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. You definitely want to come prepared with questions in all the interview preps I've done, usually at the end, I'll ask, okay, what kind of questions are you going to ask your interviewer? And usually, you know, students are like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to ask questions. To me, I hate it when people don't ask any questions because it shows that you're not interested. There's so many like vague things on the internet, right? Regarding like their website. And so, if you have a question about like a specific program, it shows that you actually looked into it, thought about it, and then figured out it was something that they didn't answer. Probably the questions that everyone is wondering about is how to actually prepare for these interviews. Um, so Darlene, maybe as like our interview prep expert, could you kind of run through um, a little bit about like how at Moon Prep we will help students prepare? Yeah, definitely. So a lot of places I think will have you start doing mock interviews, but I don't think that it's right to do that until you actually understand the content. So usually all of our interview coaches will go through the content first. So we give you, you know, the 10 most common questions um, or for MMI, we go through like the top three um, scenario based questions. And then based off of that, uh, then we start incorporating more and more like quirky questions after one of one or two sessions, we'll have a mock interview. Um, and then from there, we kind of reassess and see how you're doing. But usually, once you understand the content, mock interviews are the best way to go. Nicole, will you tell us a little bit about what a traditional interview is and what type of questions they might be expecting? Absolutely. Traditional interviews are going to be something that students may have seen more commonly, potentially in a job interview or something similar. So why are you interested in medicine? Why are you interested in this school? Tell me about yourself. Um, Sometimes they might ask you to share a little bit about your extracurriculars or about your personal life, Um, but they're going to be much more of those common questions. MMI interviews are a little bit different. There's going to be scenario-based questions. So these are the questions where you have to kind of dive a little bit deeper. 
They'll ask you about ethics to show a logical approach, situational questions, and questions about the healthcare system. I think MMI is definitely one of those types of interviews that scares a lot of people because like Nicole said, everyone knows about the traditional interview, but not that many people know what MMI is. Yeah, I would agree. I think on the surface, MMI seems more intimidating, but I I mean, I personally kind of think it's more fun. It seems no. like a less stressful because there's, you know, kind of almost a, not quite a formula you can follow, but there are different steps you can be taking, you know, different like avenues you can be taking with those. And um, while you never know exactly what you're going to encounter, I think that that was what makes them more fun, at least for me personally, once a student gets going on it, I think that they, they oftentimes agree with that. I agree. I think also in some of my experience with doing prep, students have the most trouble answering the tell me about yourself question. Yes. Darlene, do you have any advice on how students should approach that one? Yes. So my formula is always uh, talk about where you're from and talk about your state. I usually have students saying like, you know, I go to John Smith High School. I'm like, I don't know where John Smith High School is, right? Mm-hmm. I need to know that you're from New Jersey. <laughs> um, and then, you know, talk about two or three accomplishments, two or three personal interests or hobbies, anything outside of academics, and then always throw in a fun fact. What could that fun fact be? Honestly, it can be anything. Um, I have a student who is now at Dartmouth Medical School, and her fun fact was was she and her boyfriend, whenever they travel, they like to rank uh, chicken wing and nacho places. And so um, it's just such a good opener to ask like, oh, so, you know, where do you recommend for me to go like while I'm at this interview or what's your favorite place to eat at um, in your city if it's like a virtual interview? But you always want something different for them to remember you by. That's super smart because I might not remember if if everyone like volunteers at the same places and like does kind of similar activities, they, I'm sure they start to blend together for these interviewers, but you're going to remember the chicken and nachos girl a lot longer than, (laughs) than someone who doesn't have that distinctive thing. So I love that. And it'll be a good reason. I think that intimidates some students. Like I don't want to be known as the chicken and nacho person. You'll stand out for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I actually have a student who goes to NJIT, NJMS right now. And her thing was when I go to Taco Bell, I everyone knows that the Puja Lupa is my order and they know exactly how to make it. Like I don't even need to explain it to them. So two weeks later, she gets an email from the, her interviewer and you know they said, hey, we're forwarding you to NJMS. And by the way, I hope you got your Puja Lupa. Like that's how memorable it was, right? And NJIT, um, they interview like 350 something students. So this girl stood out amongst that cohort. Perfect. It's such a, yeah, such small little things, but those really do make a difference. You only have sometimes like 20 to 30 minutes with these people. You have to make that impression. And it's just like with essays. If you don't add those personal details, even if they seem inconsequential, those are what makes you like, are, those are what make you so memorable. So don't be afraid to showcase personality. Don't be afraid to, to talk about things that aren't relevant to medicine because medicine is only one small little aspect of who you are. Um, 
it's more important to showcase personality and showcase those memorable sides of you. Exactly. And definitely remember, they're watching everything that you do, right? So if you seem like a robot, you may not come across as someone who can engage with the cohort that they're trying to put together. But, you know, if you show a lot of different personal interests, unique qualities, you can communicate well, you're funny, right? They're going to think, I want this student at my program. Yes, those things are so much harder to teach. Like you cannot teach someone how to be personable. I mean, I suppose you could probably teach someone how to be personable, but it's a lot harder. Um, it's hard to to showcase like those like soft qualities that a physician needs to have. And those sometimes matter even more for the BSMD programs, I would say, because they do want kids who are going to do well and, you know, be able to be good team players and have those communication skills. So showcasing those in your interviews are going to be way more important than showcasing your 4.0 GPA. So I know we went through this in a different podcast, but what are your big tips for MMI? The I think this is like a really generic thing, but and this is true for traditional interviews, but don't approach scenarios like the way that you think that they want you to, if that makes sense. Like don't be authentic to yourself and like understand your ethics and you know, make sure to go through your ethics first. But if if you think that there's like a certain formula you need to follow for every single scenario and you're just going to go like, okay, first I do, you know, a, you know, approach them directly. And if they don't change their behavior next, I'm going to go to like the manager or like the teacher or kind of like the higher up supervisor. And then like, you know, do that. And if that doesn't work, then here's like my next steps. Um, you kind of have a very set formula that you follow for each one. I think that that's like the thing where I've seen kids fall apart a lot because in the real world, there isn't like one right answer. There's like a lot of gray areas. And yeah, these formulas can kind of help you have like a framework of how you want to respond to these questions. But but ultimately, then you do come across as robotic. You don't come across as like a real human because you're so rigid in your response to things and you're not a good team player. You're not a good, um, you know, ultimately maybe not a good coworker or student because you have like this very black and white view of the world, which maybe isn't actually what your viewpoint of the world is. So having flexibility in each scenario and like critically thinking about each one, about how you would respond, I think can be a good, like small tip for students. Do the ethics research, have some base knowledge, but again, um, similar to what you were saying, don't go into it the exact same way every time thinking that this is the way that you have to have or the way that you have to answer. I also say if it's, they love to ask the gray area questions. Like sometimes there's no right or wrong, perfect answer. You don't, if you don't feel like you have a, a true stance, don't feel like you have to make one and don't be afraid to tell them, well, I'm not a hundred percent sure what I would do in that situation, but here's what I'm thinking. And these are some of the thought processes that I would have if I were the physician in that situation. I also tell students to review the healthcare system. So I feel like this shouldn't come as a surprise, but it's always a surprise for some reason. So if you think about the healthcare system, this is the field that you're saying that you want to enter. So it's not unreasonable for them to ask you to explain what you know about it. And obviously the American healthcare system, there's so many issues, right? There's so many things that you can pick up, but, you know, try to read up on it before your interviews. And of course, these things take time. Don't wait until the last minute to start reviewing what the healthcare system is like. Yes. You cannot wing those types of things. No. Um, 
I think that that's what some students think that they know enough for that they can kind of make stuff on the spot, make stuff up on the spot, but it's definitely not always the case. Um, kind of going back to traditional interviews too, you can't make up on the spot, like why you want to attend this school because it's probably going to be superficial and like, you're not going to have enough like depth to your answer. So you, you shouldn't be winging these interviews. You should definitely take that time to prepare beforehand. And I think it's so obvious for the person on the other side of the interview to know if you've really prepared and to know if you are winging it. Kind of on a related note of preparing, who should the, who should like students be preparing with? Of course, moon prep counselors would be like number one on our list, but um, you know, if you're not a moon prep student or for whatever reason, like, you know, don't have the time to prepare with us, who should they be reaching out to for help or who should they be relying on to, to guide them through the interview process? Honestly, I think someone who they feel like is a good interviewer, um, parents who are, you know, let's say a hiring manager, right? They can tell them exactly what kind of answers are good and what kind of answers are not good. Um, I've had, you know, I remember this one student very, very well. He got into all of the IVs except for Harvard. Um, and so, you know, the point I'm trying to make is obviously he's an extremely competitive applicant and he did have BSMD interviews. And so after one round with me, um, he didn't want to practice anymore, even though I highly recommended it. And he said, I'm going to practice with my friends, right? Your friends are not qualified to do that. So, you know, make sure it's someone who has a lot of experience interviewing Um and, you know, it could be like a teacher, a counselor, just someone that you trust. But anyways, the point is the student didn't get into any BSMDs. Um, so you just want to make sure you're adequately prepared. Do you think that you can overprepare for interviews? Yes, I definitely think you can overprepare. At some point, whatever you're doing is kind of futile if you know the answer to every single question. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times if you over-prepare, it could also sound rehearsed. And so when you sound rehearsed, it also sounds robotic. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's sometimes it's really obvious that it almost sounds like the student's reading their answer off of a page when you say, okay, so tell me a little bit about yourself. It, it's mm. not genuine. <laughs> yeah. And the passion really goes away too. Yes. Uh, whenever I am telling kids to like prepare, they're like, tell me about yourself or why medicine or why this school. Um, I tell them not to write it out like you would an essay, but maybe to have bullet points and to have flexibility about like what you're changing about your wording and how you're saying things. And even like the order, as long as you're kind of hitting your main points that you want to hit in those like big questions, you are, you're having that flexibility and the spontaneity too. I think that that really helps come across and keeps the passion alive. This might also seem very obvious, but please don't write out all of your answers and just mm -hmm. read it in a virtual interview. They oh. can tell when you're doing that. It's very obvious. Yes. I've had parents or students who've like asked, like, can I have like another document that I'm going to scroll through and find the answers? I'm like, well, are you just going to like have a 15 second pause or 20 second pause while you're scrolling through to find that question? Like that's going to be so awkward. It's going to make it just seem like the, the social skills aren't a hundred percent there too. So um, yeah, don't, don't be scrolling and thinking that you can have all your like top interview questions prepared on a doc. 
that you're going to. And the other thing too is if you're prepared adequately, you won't need to do that, right? It's just a crutch. 100%. 100%. But yeah, the number of kids I've had who've asked is kind of astounding. Or if they're asking if they can um, have their parents sit in in the session, even if like the parents are off screen, um, you should not you should not have your parents be there. You're now the whole point of this interview too is to kind of showcase your maturity, showcase your commitment. Um, if you need to have your parents there, then you know that is that is kind of like a, I would think a flag to the schools that you aren't able to to do things without your parents there. They're expecting you to have that maturity and have that ability to to convey yourself without your parents overwatching you. I absolutely agree. We didn't really talk too much about this, but what should students be wearing to, let's start first with the virtual interviews. What should a student wear to a virtual interview? Where should be they, where should they be doing these interviews? Like what should the background look like? Um, can you dive into that for us, Darlene? Yeah. This one's kind of funny for me because I always thought it was kind of obvious, like regardless of your environment, always dress up. But I actually had a student who attended an interview in person and didn't know to dress up. So she was wearing like a school uniform. So definitely don't do that for girls, a blouse, um, you know, a blazer jacket, slacks or a nice skirt. Make sure it's definitely knee length or below. Um, And then obviously appropriate shoes, like no open toed sandals. Right. And then for guys, a suit is always appropriate. Perfect. Even for virtual interviews, would you recommend that they get completely dressed up? Yeah, definitely. Um, You never want to look like you're unkempt, right? This is a professional interview. So regardless of the environment, you always want to make sure you look nice. Um, Medical students were expected to dress professionally every day, right? Obviously, sometimes we wear scrubs, but you have to look professional to convey that professionalism to your patients. And Nicole, what do you recommend for the virtual background of like a, a Zoom call or whatever type of platform it is? Yeah, I usually will have the student, you know, wherever they have calls with me, I'm like, turn your camera on. Let's look at different angles in your room. We want the lighting to be good. So, you know, sitting in front of a window with the light facing you. And then obviously we don't want like a pile of laundry sitting on the bed behind you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think if it's in their room and, you know, they have a dresser or like a bookshelf and just typical room things is okay. You know, I don't think that they would expect them to go like rent a room in the library and have like a blank wall, mm-hmm. but that's also okay. If they have an office in their room or in their house where they can sit and have like something blank behind them, then that I think is also fine. Usually we'll say, you know, if they're using their webcam on their like computer, make sure it's at an appropriate height. A lot of times kids will use their laptops and you kind of get the angle of like a double chin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so prop it up on some books and make sure. Um, so we'll do a lot of that prior to. And the lighting too. I've had kids who like one face will be like completely washed out because like just their camera angle is weird or they're the light is like directly behind them. So you can barely see them because they're all in shadows. Um, so yeah, just those small little things that you can, you can easily test that stuff out beforehand. And it just takes a few minutes to kind of get your lighting right, to get your angles right. And can really help make that good first impression for those virtual interviews. Now, Darlene, what about sending thank you notes? Do you recommend they send thank you notes and when should they send thank you notes? 
I think it depends on the program. So some places, if they say don't send us anything, then don't think, oh, well, this is still a nice gesture. Like I'll send it to them anyway. Make sure you follow the rules. But if they do allow it or, you know, they give you like their email and say, let us know if you have any questions, you want to send a detailed thank you note, not like one page long, but you want to pull from specific details that you remember that they talked about, like, you know, thank you so much, Dr. So-and-so. I really enjoyed learning about whatever program. This is something that I'm very interested in and connected to something that you did. Um, I feel like that's kind of the best way versus like, you know, just thank you so much for taking the time to meet me. It was a pleasure to meet you. I feel like it doesn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. And when should they send those thank you notes? Yeah, I would, I mean, within 12 hours, I'd say. Um, I know sometimes like if you're interviewing in the morning and then, you know, definitely before that day is over, um, if not like right away, if you have the time. I think doing it like one minute after is it's showing that there really wasn't much reflection. You're just, (laughs) you're doing something you think you should be doing. But I think if you're waiting a couple hours and you could even reference, like Darlene said, I really thoroughly enjoyed our conversation about X, Y, and Z. It actually made me reflect on X, Y, and Z, you know, but I think, you know, with, within the day is appropriate. Yeah, I would agree. I always feel like it's like completely great disingenuous when you send it so quick, like within a minute afterwards. Um, But sometimes I'll tell kids to like, before they get up from the computer and like tell their parents how the interview went, like take a few notes um, if they didn't take notes during the interview, but take a few notes during it about maybe the things they want to say, and then they can refine that, you know, later, but then at least like it, it goes back in their memory. And I've had kids, you know, three or four days later, be like, oh man, I never sent them thank you note. It's kind of too late. You know, they already wrote the evaluation of you, you know, they maybe already sent it off. Um, three to four days is definitely, is definitely too late. Now, whenever they're doing MMI, they're interviewing with a lot of different people. So Darlene, do you recommend that they send thank you notes for MMI or just skip that altogether? I think if you really connected with someone, then you can send it to them. Does it make sense to send it to eight people? Personally, I don't think so. Um, You can always send like just one letter to the admissions office. Again, this is if they permit it and just say, you know, I really enjoyed um, my time interviewing. I thought the questions were really like, you know, intellectually stimulating and then you know, I feel like that part doesn't hurt. One last point about what not to do. Nicole, do you want to maybe give us one thing that you recommend students not to do in interviews? I would really just focus on being genuine. Be yourself. Don't be someone that you think that they want you to be. Ultimately, you're looking for the school that best suits you. And hopefully the programs or program that you get into would be the one that is best suitable for you as a person. They're looking for someone that's going to fit into their environment. Almost every student that's applying and that's interviewing is going to be more than qualified for the most part. Um, So really be yourself and hopefully that the interviews will do their job in finding the student and finding the match that works the best. Anything you want to add to that, Darlene? Remember that the interview is not just about your accomplishments. They already have your resume. They have all of your essays. They can see all of that. They want to see a real person when they interview. And even though you are a real person, (laughs) 
you have to come across that way. So just make sure when you're rehearsing, things sound really natural. Incorporate different ideas about your personal experiences outside of school. The interview is the time to humanize yourself. The really the first time I get to hear what you're saying. I mean, obviously essays, they'll have that, but this is, you know, things that they know is directly coming out of your mouth. Um, so yeah, being human, showcasing your good qualities is definitely number one. And I guess like the whole thing we've been talking about to do about like what not to do would be like not to take this seriously. Like BSMD interviews are really serious. Um, a lot of times they maybe are interviewing, you know, 40 kids and then ultimately accepting 20 of them or, you know, whatever like the stats might be from school to school. So it is something that really is a big part of why you're getting selected for these programs. And so kind of writing it off is not important or that, you know, you think that you can handle it without a ton of prep would be a big mistake just because this does does have a lot of implications and you are so close. You've beaten out so much of the competition at this point. So make sure to take that time to prepare for these BSMD interviews. Well, I think that's it for us today on what to expect for BSMD interviews. Like and subscribe to get more great content for White Coat Club. But until then, we'll see you next time.